Well, some of us will remember a film that came out back in 2000, one of the early comic book superhero genre films called Unbreakable. And the film opens with a train wreck, literally, as an East Coast commuter train crashes, goes off the rails, and everyone on board is killed, 130-plus people, except for one. A security guard named David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis, survives. The strange thing is he not only survives the wreck, he doesn't have a scratch on him. And that leaves him and everyone else troubled. Why was he unharmed? And what does it mean? Well, along comes an eccentric comic book collector named Elijah, played by Samuel Jackson. And he seems equally intrigued by David Dunn's survival. Now, Elijah, it turns out, was born with a rare genetic disorder that leaves his bones especially brittle. So brittle brittle that as a child, he earns the nickname Mr. Glass because his bones are broken so easily. Well, as things unfold, we discover that David Dunn has never broken a bone in his entire life, even though he played years of high school and college football. He's never had stitches. He's never pulled a muscle. He's never even had a bruise, not once in his entire life. Elijah tells him that he is not like other people. He has a special gift, and he has to use that gift in the service and protection of others. For the rest of the film, David Dunn wrestles to understand and accept this special gift and the destiny that goes with it. Now, as I remember, the film takes a pretty dark and pretty violent turn, so I'm not suggesting you go dredge it up on Netflix necessarily to watch. But the idea and the title is intriguing. Think of what we could do for the world if we were unbreakable. Well, we just spent a handful of months here at Grace discovering that we are anything but unbreakable as human beings. In fact, we learned that we and the world are broken in all kinds of ways, by things we've done and by things that have been done to us. And the truth is, we are a whole lot more like Mr. Glass than we are like David Dunn. I don't know how many broken bones or stitches you've had in your lifetime, but I'm guessing it's more than a handful. And if we could take a CT scan of your soul, we'd probably find some bumps and bruises there and maybe a break or two as well. Human beings should come with a stamp, fragile, because we are quite breakable. But then we learned on Easter Sunday that the same power that raised a dead Jesus back to life again is able to restore us as well. That God, the master Kintsugi artist, can put the broken pieces of our lives back together in such a way that we are actually more beautiful and more useful than we were before we were broken. And so in these next few weeks, we'd like to explore how God does that. How does God make broken people whole? And how does he then use those unbroken people to make the world whole as well? So to answer those questions, we're going to go to a a book of the New Testament that we call 2 Corinthians. And it was written by a man who had suffered more than a few train wrecks in his life, the Apostle Paul. 
But in his brokenness, in his fragility, Paul discovered a power and a purpose that not only made him whole, but made him an agent of healing and redemption to the world around him as well. And he'll teach us how God can do the same in our lives. So let's begin in this book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to jump ahead to to begin in chapter 4 with what I believe is the pivotal and maybe the most beautiful passage in the entire book. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, the Apostle Paul had a complicated relationship with these Christians in the city of Corinth. On the one hand, he was thrilled by the spiritual vitality of this church. All the gifts of the Spirit were operative in the Corinthian church. It was a dynamic, happening place. But these Corinthian believers could also be kind of unruly at times and a little bit reckless in the way that they lived. And they were often at odds with each other and with him. It was such a tumultuous relationship between Paul and this church that it looks as though he wrote four letters to them over a period of several years. We have two of them preserved in our New Testament. This book of 2 Corinthians is probably the fourth letter he wrote and the last letter that he wrote. And he wrote this letter after a season of hardship and difficulty. And he's going to chronicle that later in the book. Shipwreck, imprisonment, beatings, criticism, persecution. More than once, he was near death because of these experiences. And to make matters worse, his critics were using these hardships against him, arguing that all these bad things, if he were really anointed of God, these bad things wouldn't be happening to him. The fact that they are happening suggests that God does not approve of Paul or his ministry. So Paul writes this impassioned letter, not just to reestablish his credentials as an apostle, but to try to teach the Corinthian believers a better perspective on hardship and suffering. And it happens to be a perspective that we in the American church today probably need to hear. Now, if you're paying any attention at all, you probably know that life is not getting any easier for us. Not as human beings, not as citizens of our nation or of the world, and not as followers of Jesus Christ. And they don't look like they're going to get easier anytime soon. So let's pay attention to these words and the words in the weeks to come and see what we can learn about being made whole and helping the world become whole. So here in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now who's the we that Paul's talking about? It's not just he and his team of ministers. He's talking about we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. He's talking about many of us listening here today, believers in Jesus Christ. We are the we. And what is the, what is the treasure he's talking about? The treasure is the gospel of Jesus. 
the good news of his life, his death, and resurrection. But not just the message about it, the power behind it. The power that raised him from the dead and gave him life again. The very life of Christ, that's the treasure. So we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now that's a very strange and surprising thing to say. Some translations have it clay pots. Some say earthen vessels. He's talking about something a little bit like this sample jar of clay we have on the platform here. Though, of course, they would have come in all kinds of sizes and all kinds of shapes. Now, clay pottery was among the most common material of the day. People used it for cookware and for dishes and for storage and for wash basins. The, 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 the clay material, the shape of the pot, helped to preserve food and liquid to keep it cool and to keep it from evaporating. But these jars of clay could also be used sometimes to, to store other things, even to store valuables as well. The idea was that who would think of hiding something valuable inside something so ordinary? Now, if you've ever put cash in a sock drawer or hidden your stock certificates inside a book on the shelf, you get the idea. News alert, the burglars know. Okay? They go right to the sock drawer when they break into your house. But that's the idea. Taking something valuable and putting it inside something ordinary. So how is it that we, who call ourselves believers or followers of Christ, are like jars of clay? Well, two possibilities. First of all, like jars of clay, we are quite ordinary. Clay pots were among the most common objects of the day. They were everywhere. And they were especially common in, in the households of ordinary working class people. Now, wealthier people could have afford more exotic and expensive materials like, like marble or, or fine wood or, or metals. But ordinary people, most people used clay pots. So they were, they were everywhere. That's why you find so many clay pots in museums today, because they were everywhere, and so they're left all over the place. But they were ordinary. It would be like saying today, we have this treasure in plastic bags. <laughs> right? Plastic bags, they're everywhere. We use them for all kinds of things. Imagine a day, a thousand years from now, when they're putting plastic bags in museums. <laughs> and people peek inside and go, oh, that one says TJ Maxx. I wonder who he was. <laughs> that sounds crazy to us. It's just a plastic bag. But that, these were just clay pots. And Paul says, we're like that. Well, the second surprising thing about being compared to a clay pot is that these pots were so fragile. They were made of clay. It was readily available. It was cheap. It was easy to work with. And so you could use a clay pot, let it get dinged and chipped and cracked. And when it broke, you just threw it out and you got yourself another one. It didn't really matter. It wasn't a big deal. In fact, they would often use the shards, the scattered pieces of the pots for tools or even to write a note on, like that envelope you have on the island counter that you write a note on. It's the ancient version of scrap paper. That's what they were. They were disposable. And so you have this odd juxtaposition 
this great treasure, the life of Christ, inside ordinary, fragile vessels like you and me. Every once in a while, you read a story about uh, an elderly person who passes away, and when the family comes in to clean out the house, they find that all these valuable things, expensive jewelry and stock certificates, have been stored in these unlikely places, like uh, uh, an old shoebox or a coffee can. I read about one woman, a true story, who had a $15,000 diamond necklace that she had stored in a Chinese food takeout box. Now, it seems crazy. Why would you put something so valuable in such an ordinary and fragile container? Why would God entrust the life of his son to fragile, ordinary people like you and me? Well, two reasons, it turns out. And first is in order to display the life of Christ. He puts this treasure in jars of clay in order to display the life of Christ in order to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. God places his life in ordinary, fragile people so that whatever those people accomplish, obviously do it through God's power and not their own. Now, from the little bit we can tell from the scriptures, the apostle Paul was not an especially impressive person at least at first sight. He was not known to be an eloquent speaker. Many people criticized his speaking. It appears as though he might have been small of stature, that he had some health problems, maybe even poor eyesight. We know that he has an ugly past, participating in the brutal treatment of not just men, but women and children who followed Jesus. And we know that he was constantly criticized and suspect by people from all walks of life and society. And yet somehow, through this obviously flawed and unimpressive person, the good news of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world, the known world at the time, and the church of Jesus Christ was established, a church that still exists some 2,000 years later. The only explanation is that the power of God was at work in this jar of clay named Paul. You see, it doesn't make any sense to put something valuable into something ordinary unless you want people to notice what's inside and not the container. Think of it this way. Let's suppose that you're inviting some guests for dinner and you want to prepare a special meal for them. Your specialty. Let's call it jambalaya. That's your thing. You've got this family recipe. Takes all day to prepare. But these guests are really important to you so you are happy to put in the effort. So you do. You spend the day preparing the meal. Your guests arrive. The time comes. You set the, bring out the, the dinner and you set it down on the table and the people go, Oh, my, would you look at that serving dish? Look at the bowl and the decorations. Where did you get that? And they go on and on about the dish, and they never even comment on the jambalaya. Well, they've missed the point. The next time you'll serve it in a disposable tin foil container so that they focus on the food 
and not the container. And so it is God pours his remarkable life into ordinary people like you and me so that people will praise him and not us. So that whatever is accomplished in and through us is obviously a work of his power and his spirit and the life of Christ in us. So that it becomes clear that we are who we are because Christ lives in us. And it turns out the harder life gets, the more we get knocked and banged around, the more conspicuous the life of Christ in us begins to be. In fact, Paul is going to go on now and describe four kinds of hardship that everyone in life suffers with sooner or later. Four kinds of bumps and bruises we get along the way. First, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Now, we would probably say we are stressed out on every side. Have you ever slumped your way through the day? feeling as though the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Have you ever found yourself lying in bed at night, feeling like you've got a sandbag of concern sitting on your chest? Stress and pressure takes a toll on our health, on our spirits, on our relationships, on our productivity. Hard-pressed. Then he says we are perplexed, but not in despair. In other words, we're confused, we're bewildered, we don't know what to do. Have you ever found yourself so overwhelmed by the complexities of life or by the nuances of some big decision that you're just paralyzed, you don't know how to go forward? You just want to close your eyes and make it all go away? Perplexed. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Paul was facing attack from every front, from the Jewish authorities, from the Roman government and soldiers, and now from his own brothers and sisters in Christ. Verbal, psychological, physical attack he endured again and again. Do you ever feel as though people are out to get you? That people are against you? Maybe it's your boss or your teacher. Maybe a friend or family member seems as though they've turned against you. Maybe it's because of your faith. Persecuted. Struck down, but not destroyed. Literally and figuratively, Paul had been knocked off his feet again and again and again. And there were times it looked like he was not going to get up again. And maybe you know how that feels. One problem after another, financial hardship and relational difficulties and health issues and spiritual struggle. Trouble sometimes comes in waves and we get knocked down one after another after another and after a while we're not sure we can stay on our feet anymore. Hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Are any of those things describing how you feel these days? Well, Paul had them all at the same time. You talk about a train wreck. That's what Paul was experiencing. And yet, he's still standing. Not just standing, he's moving forward. Not just moving forward, he's moving forward with grace and courage and faith to change the world, to spread the good news, to build the church. Not because of who he was, but because of who Christ was living in him. We have this treasure in jars of clay, 
to show this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. Now, friends, this is a really important and challenging message for us today, especially those of us in the American church today, where we are so accustomed to associate God's blessing with health and success and prosperity and popularity and winning When things are going well for us, we feel as though we're on God's side and we're enjoying his favor. I think of how I often pray for people who are going through a crisis. Lord, you would receive such glory if they could be healed or if they got the job or if they won the case. And that could be true. Maybe God will work that way and reveal his glory through the healing or the victory or the resolution. But Paul is telling us it's just as likely and in fact may even be more powerful for people to see how we handle the sickness and the disappointment and the hardship. Paul's not saying that God takes pleasure in our hardship and our heartache. He's not saying that God engineers train wrecks to see how we handle it. Not at all. These things happen to us in life. God is good, but life is not always good. What he's reminding us of is that God made us breakable. He made us mortal. And he placed us in this rough and tumble world. In order that his life within us might become evident to the world around us, especially when we get knocked around, when we get banged up. See, when things happen to us, when we get chipped and cracked and even broken, the master Kintsugi artist puts us back together again in ways that reveal his beauty and his goodness and his patience and his power. But once we're put back together, he doesn't put us in a museum somewhere out of harm's way. No, he puts us right down in the middle of the workplace or the middle of the neighborhood or the school or whatever difficult situation we might be in in order that people might look and say, wow, would you look what God has done with that person's life in order that we might display the beauty and the power of God. And so if you're feeling hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean you're out of God's will. In fact, it could be you're right where you need to be right now and that God is doing something in and through you that will not only one day look beautiful in your life, but in the meantime will be a display to others of his goodness and his beauty and his love. Sometimes the strongest evidence of God's power isn't that we escape hardship, it's that we endure it with grace and courage and dignity. And every time we get knocked around, we get a chance to show the world what it looks like to have the life of Christ in us. So that's the first reason we had this treasure in jars of clay, to display the life of Christ. But a second and related reason is in order that we might might dispense the life of Christ, that we might distribute it, that we might share it with the world. 
Listen to verse 10 and verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, let's just spend a minute with the imagery here because it is sheer genius by the Apostle Paul. I know he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so he's got some help, but this is still pretty good stuff. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. When God formed us, he formed us from the dust of the earth, not unlike a potter working with a lump of clay. And he made us in his image, but he also made us mortal. He made us breakable. He made us flesh and bone. Now we carry the image of God, but we are still subject to accident and to disease and even to death. And we remind ourselves of this from time to time, at funerals sometimes, on Ash Wednesday, when the minister says, from dust you have come and to dust you shall return. We're reminding ourselves that in our current state, we are mortal, breakable, fragile, perishable people. And now along comes Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, but he too is made mortal. Maybe the same stuff we are, flesh and bone, just like us. He too is breakable. In fact, he takes on himself all the world's brokenness. The worst things that can happen to a human being happen to Jesus. Even going to the point of death for us. But then, by the power of God, he is raised to life again. Not just back to life, but better life, glorified life. And he still has the scars that tell the story, but those scars have now been incorporated into his identity as the glorified son of God. And now through faith, that same unbreakable life that raised Jesus is available to us through faith in Christ. God will put us back together and fill us with the unbreakable life of the risen Christ. Look again, the next verse. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's a very interesting choice of words here. When Paul says given over to death, that expression given over, it's the same word the gospel writers use when they talk about Jesus being given over to the authorities for flogging and for crucifixion. In other words, Paul's telling us that in the same way that God allowed his son to suffer in order to offer life to the world, sometimes, God allows his servants to suffer in order that through us, his life might be offered to the world around us as well. When we're broken by life, he not only puts us back together again in beautiful ways, but then he fills us with his unbreakable life so that we might share it with the world. Now, think of it this way. Uh, we have this sterling silver tea set at home. It was given to us by some friends of ours in another part of the country, something that would remind us of them and their love for us. 
It's made of beautiful sterling silver. It's finely crafted. It's even got a W etched onto it. And we kind of keep it on a shelf in the china cabinet at home. But here's the deal. We can't use it. When they gave it to us, they coated it with this finish to, so it wouldn't tarnish, which is wonderful. But if you put hot liquid in it, you not only ruin the finish, you poison the people you're serving tea to. <laughs> so that's no good. Well, you get the point. God is not looking for sterling silver tea sets. He's looking for rough and tumble clay pots that can go out into the world filled with his life, get bumped and banged and knocked around and used in everyday experience in order that this life of Christ might be available to the world. The church is not meant to be a museum of precious, valuable pieces of pottery where we're kept out of harm's way, unaffected by the world. No, the church is simply a place where we come to kind of get put back together again, filled up with his life, and then sent back out into the world to get banged up, jostled around, and then come back again and get put back together again. Let me try to illustrate it with this kind of jar of clay we have here on the platform today. Let's imagine for a minute that this jar of clay is filled to the brim with wine, okay? Sparkling, fragrant, robust, whatever words sommeliers use to describe a fine wine, I am obviously not one of them, but whatever words they use, this thing is filled with sparkling red wine. Now, let's say in the course of life, this thing filled to the brim gets jostled a little bit. What's going to happen? Well, the wine is going to spill over the edge. And you're going to see it run down the side of the pot and begin to collect in a little pool at the bottom of the, at the base of the pot. Well, let's say now life gets a little rougher and this thing really gets banged around a little bit and it actually gets a crack in it. Well, what's going to happen? Wine is going to seep out through that crack. In fact, you could probably run your finger along it and get a little taste of that wine that's inside. Well, now let's say things get so rough out there that this thing gets banged around and a hole gets punched right in it. What's going to come out? Wine. Somebody might even grab a glass and run and put it under there and catch it up and be able to... And now let's say things get so crazy that this jar of clay just falls over and shatters in a million pieces. Well, what happens? The wine spills all over the floor and fills the room with its fragrance. See what I mean? If this jar is filled with wine, every time it gets banged, cracked, knocked, or crashed to pieces, wine is going to come out. So now let's say this jar of clay is a believer in Jesus Christ, filled with the life of Christ. Every time that believer gets jostled around, gets cracked, gets a hole punched in, falls into pieces, what flows out? Christ. The life of Christ flows and fills the room. So when a believer loses his job in a tough economy, but responds with faith and perseverance, 
the life of Christ seeps through. People see it. When a Christ follower finds herself flat on her back in a hospital bed, uncomfortable and uncertain, but she and her family respond with courage and grace and dignity and faith, everyone who walks into that room gets a taste of the life of Christ. And when a room like this is full of Christian people at the passing of a, of a Christian person and they celebrate that person's life of faith and they, and they sing songs of joy and the hope of heaven and they leave feeling comforted and strengthened, well, that's the life of Christ that's filling the room. You see, jars of clay were meant to be used meant to be filled with the life of Christ and sent out into the world to get banged around, jostled around, and then to come back and be put back together again by the artist, filled up and sent back out into the world again. We get sent out there not to be shielded from life's dangers and difficulties, but actually to get cracked and broken by them sometimes in order that the life of Christ might flow freely out of us and to the world around. And so we are made breakable so that the unbreakable life of Christ might flow freely through us to the world. We are made breakable so that the unbreakable life of Christ might flow freely through us to the world. Now this year we've talked a lot about missional living about taking our faith out of the church and out into the world in practical, everyday ways. What Paul is beginning to teach us about here is missional suffering, where our hardships and our heartaches actually become opportunities for the good news of Christ to shine in and through us to the world around us. Again, I'm not saying that God lays hardship on us to teach us a thing or two or to give us some mission in the world. I'm simply saying that when life happens to us and when it's hard and when it hurts, we can actually lean into those experiences and live missionally even through a season of hardship. Now, next week, we're going to continue to talk on this theme, and Pastor Dave is actually going to come, and he's going to be here next week to speak on this theme. I'm going to be traveling this afternoon to Guatemala with a small team from church here to learn more about our work down there with Potter's House. You may not realize it, but uh, Pastor Dave and Paul Borthwick of Grace Chapel have recently co-authored a book on suffering. And so Dave has some great insights that he's going to share with us next week on this subject. And chances are he's going to have a picture or two of that new baby as well. So you'll want to be here for that next week. So as we finish up, let's remember where we began. We began by asking ourselves, what could we do for the world if we were unbreakable? Well, it turns out we've got it backwards. David Dunn was told he had a special mission in the world because of, his special, because of his unbreakability. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. We have a special gift, and it's our breakability. Because by our breakability, we not only get to experience the wonderful work of God in putting us back together again, but then we now get filled with his unbreakable life in order that we might share it more freely with the world. 
then in the weeks to come, we'll be learning how to do that. But let's take a moment in prayer now as we finish up. As we bow in prayer, let's give ourselves just a moment or two to sit with these truths and with these images. And chances are there are quite a few today who are feeling stressed out or banged up or knocked down. Some not even sure they're going to be able to get back on their feet again. And if that's not you, there's probably someone in your life you're thinking of today who feels that way. So let's take a quiet moment privately to very intentionally invite the Lord into that brokenness to not only put us back together again, but to fill us with his life and to allow that life to flow through us even in our brokenness to the people around us. Let's pray quietly for just a moment. thank you for these truths, Lord, that have been so vividly described to us and so miraculously preserved for us down through the centuries, through the millennia that we might read them today with remarkable relevance and significance for our personal lives. Do pray for anyone who's feeling broken and wounded today that they might know your artistic and beautiful and powerful healing touch in their lives. Pray, Lord, that each of us might experience the life of Christ flowing into and out of us to the world around us. And pray that we might experience this not only individually, but collectively as a community of people. May you fill us to overflowing with the life of Christ, that we might share it freely with the world around us, beginning in our own neighborhoods, and across our city and around the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.